On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, hi and welcome to all of you. This is our first show in the new year, and with me on the line is Professor Woody Wilson. So welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, quite a few different topics, and uh, one of the things that uh, we're going to touch on is a little bit about New Year's resolutions and also a look at uh, 2014, a review, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then uh, some pressing topics that I think we're going to see popping up in the news that uh, we need to be aware of and have our kids be aware of, and that is uh, talks about immigration, um, uh, the courts. Uh, we're going to be looking at some of that and also um, our new Congress and hopefully some economic recovery. So, Woody, I, I am going to start with you and uh, just share with us a little bit about uh, your New Year's resolution, if you would. Okay. It's um, it's something I actually have been thinking about and working on for quite some time, and it's very difficult. I grew up in the Cold War, um, uh, solid conservative uh, Republican and in the 1960s, I was in college, and I was very upset uh, with the counterculture movement that was going on and the values, uh, you know, the drugs and the free sex and those kinds of things that they were getting into. And um, I've become sort of uh, hard-shelled against that, and I've decided that probably what I need to do now, having been hardcore for 40 or 50 years, is develop a more refined objectivity about things as I look at the world, as I look, I look at America and the changes that occur constantly. I'm, the only thing we know about the future is it will, be different, it will be different from now. We just don't know exactly how, although we sometimes try to project. But to be more objective about in a free society, a democratic nation, everybody is entitled to an opinion, a position, whether it's political, economic, social, cultural, personal. Um, everybody is entitled to that. And I'm going to try to be more objective and um, open-minded about those things. And in doing that, I think uh, in my twilight years, I will have a more positive and composed outlook at all times. In other words, I'll enjoy life more. I won't go around frowning and grousing and, and all of those kinds of things. So that's my New Year's resolution, a more refined objectivity. <laughs> I hope I can I'm, do it. <laughs> I'm la yeah, I'm, I'm laughing here. Not not at you, Woody, with, but, you know, it, it's because, you know, both of us are very passionate about our beliefs and, you know, what we 
um, you, how, how we see the world, and we can get caught up in being so upset and and trying to understand the why. And I think a little bit of what you're saying is, um, you know, sometimes there is no understanding of the why, so we can fix it. It's that, you know, um, people may be misguided for whatever reason, and it's it's hard to be upset when there's nothing you can do about it. However, um, one of the things we are doing in this show is keeping people informed and hopefully on top of these topics so that uh, they can make informed decisions at the polls and that's what I hope we're going to be doing a little bit this year as we approach another election year. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we have to hope for the best in, in the near future. And, you know, when we talk about resolutions, mine um, usually don't come, you know, right on January the 1st or even beforehand because I don't have enough time to think about it. And I actually started writing a blog post about some of the things that um, – I want to change in my life. And there sometimes when you get very busy, um, there isn't any consistency. So I'm going to try to be more scheduled, which is one of the things um, which will be interesting to see how that works for someone who does not like to be scheduled. And in doing that, um, one of the objectives to get to that point is to keep lists. And uh, you should see my list already. Um, there, <laughs> if I start out with a list, what happens is they cross over. So it might be for my husband's company or a homeschooling thing or a doctor's appointment or, you know, so I, have, um, I haven't fine-tuned how I'm going to do that yet, you know, other than having to flip to too many sheets of paper. So, um, but that does help because, you know, I can check it off, and then if it didn't get done, I can um, make sure it goes into the next day's list. I do not want to do that in the evening. I know a lot of um, business people do that. They'll review their day and then add to their list for the next day, but then I don't want to worry at night about what I have to do the next day, <laughs> which is one of the reasons I shy away from schedules. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that will be interesting to see how that works out because I, I have quite a few, um, things I want to get done this year and, um, one of them is doing more writing. I have kind of been stagnant with my own writing, um, in working with other people, helping them get published as well as publishing some other authors. I let my own writing fall by the wayside, so I am working on finishing a, fi- a fiction, uh, which is in the first person, and that has been really fun to write. And um, and then I'm writing mm-hmm. another book. Um, Great. That will be hopefully completed by April. Um, it's The rough draft is done. It's just a matter of getting time to attack it again. So, so those are the things. So maybe in your more happy outlook, Woody, um, you'll revisit... Uh, American exceptionalism, which you always said you were going to write when you retired. So maybe you can find some past exceptionalism to write about. Well, there is a great deal of past exceptionalism, and and, and there are um, there are some things that that you know, like like issues. Okay, with issues, let's be objective. But there mm-hmm. are tried and true. Uh, uh, various principles and, and uh, policies and 
institutions that that are proven. And without question, to me, the Constitution, uh, the freedom, the Bill of Rights, the uh, democracy, the free market, uh, free enterprise, free trade, those are the things that uh, that you've got to stand up for because they made America an exceptional nation. You put them all together. Christianity, uh, mm-hmm. without question, is a is a very beneficent, compassionate uh, religion uh, with values that most of us believe in, and those, those things, uh, okay, they don't call for ob- objectivity. They're proven fact, and um, if people reject that, then you just kind of smile and feel a little sorry for them and the ignorance in which they live, mm-hmm. the things that they don't understand, the gaps in knowledge that they don't understand. Even President Obama sometimes seems to me like he's totally out of touch with American history and what America really is as a result of that history. He doesn't seem to understand that. He does seem to understand issues. But the tried and true, um, I don't think he has a good handle on those kinds of things. And um, we have talked about that before in different ways, and we'll probably talk about it again today when we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, let's do that. Let's look at the a year in review. Um, Obviously, we're not going to have an extended amount of time to go into depth, but we can look at uh, some of, you know, um, the highlights and look at the the past. You know, isn't there something in history that says, you know, we can, we'll know um, how to correct our mistakes if we understand history. And uh, unfortunately, with all the revisionist history, um, not that long ago, I saw that a group, and I don't even remember what state it was, uh, the parents were appalled because of the revisionist history book. Um, and so, uh, you know, that is something that we're going to have to keep an eye out, you know, something that we as homeschoolers are, you know, blessed that we can pretty much choose our own curriculum uh, so we're not stuck with the state-mandated history textbook. But that is something that we need to, you know, know about. So, Woody, let's do that. What are um, some things that you want to highlight as far as the good goes for 2014? Uh, Before we do that, let me just um, uh, read something that um, piggybacks on what you uh, just talked about. The title here is is very brief, Thoughts on Capitalism, Free Markets, and Society. And here is a quote from Thomas Sowell, who was one of my favorite journalists. Not since the days of the Hitler Jugend have young people been subjected to more propaganda on more politically correct issues. At one time, educators boasted that their role was not to teach students what to think, but how to think. Today, their role is far too often to teach students what to think on everything from immigration to global warming to the new sacred trilogy of race, class, and gender. And that is definitely going on wholesale in America's public schools, uh, just as you said. And it's something that we need to something we need to fight back against. And then, you know, the, the, the idea that we uh, brainwash and propagandize students in public schools, that is uh, unacceptable, and it's just one of those things you cannot be objective about. That is not okay. 
It's a family's job to teach values. It's a school's job to teach skills. And mm-hmm. analytical skills are a part of that, certainly. So um, there, we uh, went off the pathway there for a minute or two, and that's okay. Yeah, I, you know, that's how I like to, to run the broadcast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Part of my love of, of unscheduling. Oh, gosh. But, um, yeah, there, there were a lot of things that happened in 2014. Uh, some had us shaking our heads and others. Um, uh, for me, one of the things that made me happy in 2014 um, was the election and uh, the Republican um base really rallying and uh you know uh so now that we do have the majority in both the house and the senate so that was a highlight for me in 2014 um these guys it was better for me not, too. yeah they better not mess up though Woody. <laughs> we're going to be keeping yeah. an eye on them but uh, well it, yeah. it's just something something that's um unpredictable um but mm-hmm. it right right now it feels good I was watching and reading the news on the um, uh, opening of the new Congress yesterday, and um, yeah, the, uh, several positives are still going on. We have all these newly elected representatives and some senators who are uh, being sworn in, and you got Mia Love uh, from Utah, the first black female Republican elected to the House of Representatives. And um, and several other uh, people too. Too many to go into, but it was an exciting thing. It was a Republican wave, if not a tsunami. Uh, big solid uh, uh, majorities in both houses, and a sort of a positive outlook so far. Mm-hmm. Although we're getting negatives from the president, as he uh, just said, I think yesterday that. I think he had heard that Congress was going to pass uh, authorization of the Keystone Pipeline. He said, I will veto that because we're going to interfere with the State Department's uh, investigation or study, which has been going on for six years, which is totally ridiculous. Like we've said before, we have 10,000 miles of petroleum pipelines in America right now, and they are not causing any environmental problems. The technology is environmental friendly, and it was done that way purposefully over the last two or three decades. So it's just a environmental, EPA, green uh, political influence on this president, and he's going to try to stop it. Now, can the House and the Senate, because there are going to be several Democrats, including uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who strongly support the Keystone Pipeline. Will there be enough Democratic votes to override a veto uh, in both the House and the Senate? It takes two-thirds. And um, it's very, very, very difficult to get. get Only in history, only 2% of all presidential vetoes have been overridden by both houses of Congress. Only 2%. Mm. So the idea that you can get that two-thirds vote in both houses on the Keystone Pipeline, I would be very skeptical that they can do that. There are other issues, however, that Obama will certainly veto that they could uh, get. But anyway, election of 2014 certainly was the paradigm shift, and uh, we're going to be moving in a different direction. Now the Senate is actually going to pass legislation, (laughs) and we haven't seen that in four years. 
they're actually going to legislate along with the House, and that is um, that's kind of a relief. It feels good. Yeah. yeah, we're looking forward to that. So, um, and then you had a few other things you wanted to mention, such as um, yeah, one of the things that really took me by surprise, and um, and I'm sure that you were overjoyed too, was when I read about the Pope. He was in Turkey at the time. In Istanbul, I believe, and he and he and the caliph, who is the head of the church in Turkey, prayed together at a mosque for world peace. And I thought that was just the most wonderful thing. I mean, the Pope is uh, very, very influential, and when he speaks, people listen, the media listens, and um, I'm sure that um, under the media's radar screen, there are initiatives being put in motion by people like the Pope and the Caliph of mm-hmm. Turkey uh, towards world peace and towards solving these horrible problems that we're seeing in the Middle East. So that was a, you know, a breath of fresh air for me to see that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And also we have uh, an eye toward economic recovery. Uh, we can see that in Southwest Florida with all the building that's taking place, uh, keeping my husband hopping from job to job. So that's always a good thing. And uh, it's pretty much, um, you know, not not where it was, but it's moving in the right direction. Is that what you're seeing as well in well, 2014? Right. Um, uh, the economic report, you know, we keep statistics like crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it took them three months. I mean, with the modern technology and computer power that we have, I don't know why it took them three months to uh, get the data on July, August, and on September, what we call the third quarter. Now, for analytical purposes, we divide the fiscal year, that is the budget, the money, the spending, the allocations. We divide that into four quarters, January, February, and March being the first quarter and so on, and July, August, and September, the third quarter, and in the third quarter, we saw 5.5% growth in the gross domestic product, and we have not seen that since George Bush was president. Uh, We have seen 1%, 2%, and we'll get into that um, a little bit later in this program, but that was a definitely a positive thing. Now, did it continue in the fourth quarter? Will it continue in the first quarter of 2015? Um, those question marks are up there. And any time any scholar or sensible economic scholar talks about it, they always throw in that caveat. We're not sure mm-hmm. that this will continue. That was just for a three-month period. But there are indicators that it could continue, and that's good news. And we'll get it a little more detailed into that later. Very good, very good. And um, so, you know, I like starting with the with the good, but now, ah, oh, we have to deal with some of the bad. And uh, let's let's start with that. Well, um, President Obama, as a um, foreign policy leader, in that respect, we call the president the chief diplomat. Uh, he's basically gone global with America's foreign policy. He is trying to merge merge it uh, with Europe and with the United Nations. Um, a very um, non-military, non-forceful, non-leadership approach. Uh, he wants America mm-hmm. to blend in with the global community instead of being a world leader. 
And the result has been Arab Spring beginning in 2010, continuing with ISIS and the death of tens of thousands of people, including women and children, and the horrible things we're seeing right now in Iraq and in Syria. And we see Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, looking across the Atlantic and scratching his chin and saying, hmm, this president is nothing to be feared. Let's take Crimea and then we'll start working on the Ukraine, which is exactly what they're doing. And we have um, an absence of leadership. We pulled our missiles out of there, uh, when I think, in Obama's first year or second year as president. And now Russia is just basically rolling its tanks and soldiers over peoples that were once subjugated by the uh, communist USSR, uh, empire and now it looks like Putin is moving to reestablish that empire and America is gone doing nothing you know we used to and this goes back to when I was a boy America was a great liberator the great uh, bastion of democracy and human freedom and human rights and we spread that wherever we went and now we're not doing it anymore we are withdrawing and um, we see that Obama just like a couple of weeks ago lifted the embargo and embraced Cuba, a communist dictatorship that represses its people. Those people have no rights at all, and they're going to get wealthy now uh, based on open trade. He's even talking about building an embassy there. And we got nothing in return. Wherever we, It used to be that wherever we went, we promoted democracy and freedom and democratic reform, and we got nothing from Cuba on that. They will continue their totalitarian, repressive form of government, and we will put no pressure on them at all, as we have done over the last several decades, as we withdraw. Now, if we elect a president like Ronald Reagan, for example, or George Herbert Walker Bush, or even Bill Clinton, uh, American leadership will be reestablished. I guess Jeb Bush is um, really making a splash here, and I heard him say yesterday that he uh, one of the things, one of the primary goals that he has is to rebuild the military, which Obama has cut and cut and cut down to pre pre World War II levels. It's the smallest military I believe that we've had um, in all of those years. So. His foreign policy has been, uh, and of course, it's debatable. Uh, we do have uh, global, globalization happening. Maybe we should uh, join with the rest of the world. Uh, you know, you, you, I, I wouldn't, I would argue against that, but it could be argued <laughs> that that, yeah. that is the that is the world's future. It's not about America; it's about everybody. So you could argue that. Uh, nonetheless, um, an awful lot of people have died. An awful lot of innocent people, civilians, people that want to raise their kids and they get up in the morning and go to work. Uh, they have been slaughtered, massacred, bombed because of a loss of American leadership in world affairs. So that's why I call it the bad. Right. right. And then also um, we have the hacking of uh, – of Sony um, from, uh, you know, being pointed, uh, fingers are being pointed to North Korea. And uh, what do you think about that? 
I think that uh, Kim Il-jung, the uh, uh, leader, the president, dictator, whatever, of uh, North Korea, I think he's a funny little guy. And I've been just <laughs> laughing about this thing from the whole – the media acts like it's something new. We've been hacked by China, somewhere in China. We don't know who's hacking us. It probably could be government. It could be their military. They're very – I guess their military is really the center of technology in China. Uh, so it could be uh, military hacking. Um, we've been hacked by Iran and Russia, uh, at least sites within Iran and Russia. We don't know if it's by their government or if it's by – but, you know, hacking requires a great deal of resource and money. Uh, so mm-hmm. you would just naturally assume that a government would be involved in at least supporting that, paying for it, providing for it, and all of that. But North Korea hacks – Sony because of that that movie you heard about that yes I have which makes fun of uh, Kim Il Kim okay I'm getting his name mixed up with his father and his grandfather but anyway he's um, um, denies it says North Korea had nothing to do with it and um, he was threatening the United States which always makes me laugh it's just the funniest thing that a little little poor backward country like that with nuclear weapons uh, could threaten the United States. That that just amazes me. But uh, hacking is a very serious problem, and I do hope, I do hope that um, the CIA and the National Security Agency are hacking those people right back. And I imagine they probably are. Yeah. So and, you know, <laughs> that's, it's, that's it's, the new world, huh? Right. It's a new world, and what really um, makes me uh, cautious is that. A lot of sites that are um, that you wouldn't think would be hacked, like Sony, that would have such an intricate, uh, you know, uh, um, setup, would be um, would not, you know, would let its guard down, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we're going to see more of that. Um, I, I will not use my phone. Um, you know, I, I know there's new apps now that you can put on your phone and, and not use your credit card and and whatever other source that you right. want to use, um, you know, those kinds of things are not uh, something that I want to use. And uh, every, like the bigger stores that we do use um, have been hacked, and and so the banks will reissue um, cards and, you know, debit cards and things like that. But I think this is uh, definitely keeping us on our toes, and we need to be vigilant. And, and I, you know, it's... Uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. But uh yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not too worried about Sony. I'm sure they'll they'll bounce back. Um and no, I'm not going to go see the movie either or I know it's it's streaming online now, so you know, it's just silly I think. Um but we do have some things uh, you know, that move to the ugly now with the rise of ISIS and um, you know, I think the military you didn't hear a lot about ISIS and I felt like, you know, we we have let our guard down in, in quite a lot of ways, and now there's been a um, uh, a massacre, you know, so to speak, or an act of terrorism. The French president uh, called it today. A satirical uh, newspaper was uh, their offices were attacked because they were um, so they had some anti-Muslim uh, cartoons and caricatures and and that sort of thing and. Uh, what did they say? Eleven people were killed, and several were 12, policemen. Who yeah. 
12. Okay. So, um, and they're calling these, you know, random acts where these pockets um, of, you know, people are holed up or, you know, they're not holed up. But um, it's it's not like it's one huge entity that you can, it's not like, all right, it's a, it's a game changer, Woody. This is not how war normally takes place. You know what I mean? You know, if you were right. talking about, um, you know, principles and policies and institutions and things that are right and wrong, this is a wrong on so many levels because it's not countries warring in an organized fashion. These are renegades that are out in pairs. You know, they said there's two to four people that they're still trying to hunt down that got away, um, unfortunately, and they're they're doing things like this, like the you know the um, the Boston Marathon, and yeah. you know, um, and just horrible things that uh, are really being. Um, you know, I don't know if, if the Boston Marathon was pointed directly back to ISIS, but it was, um, you know, pointed to a radical Islamic faction. So, uh, share with us about that. Well, there, you know, there are several terrorist groups over there, it's, and Al Qaeda is still active, and there's Hezbollah and Hamas and um, ISIS, of course, which claims to be the new caliphate uh, for all Muslims, and they have urged. Muslims in, and you probably find Muslims on just about every country on the planet. And ISIS, um, Al Bakar, put out this directive or this, what do they call it? Uh, we call it a fiat mm-hmm. um, to, for Muslims in every country throughout the world to commit acts of violence, murder, terror against the infidel. And perhaps that's what we saw in France. Now, those we don't know, but maybe those guys were sent from Syria by ISIS into France to make this attack, this terrorist attack, and let the world know that we're coming after you. And, of course, Muslims have by, have left the Middle East by the millions and moved particularly into Europe, but also into the United States and into Canada, into Australia, Indonesia, Philippines, and uh, they have a very strong presence there. And that's probably part of the reason that they believe that they can basically take over the world. And this uh, Al-Bakar, the leader of ISIS now, is basing his, his aspirations to being the world caliphate on the presence of, of Muslims and the potentials of terror in almost every country in the world. So what we saw in France yesterday, was it? I just saw it in news today, so I assume yes, it was it yesterday. Was, yeah. I think we're going to uh-huh. see we're going to see more of that in many other places. And like, and like you said, the Boston Marathon um, is a red flag to us. Uh, they're here, and uh, they're full of hatred, and they're willing to die uh, for jihad because they get to go join Allah and get seventeen virgins or whatever. And they're probably ignorant enough to believe that. And so we can expect uh, more of this. And our CIA and national security and law enforcement uh, has to really be on their toes uh, to deal with this because it's coming, almost certainly. Yeah, it is. And and that's the thing that, 
you know, we have to um, not be afraid because I know that's what what tends to happen is people then get very, very fearful. But, um, you know, we just need to, to uh, you know, know that these things are happening and support our military and, um, you know, pray that this rise against ISIS does stop because it is horrible. Well, you know, I, you know, and, and again, you know, yeah. that's the uh, that's the absence of American leadership. We sh- we could have had we could have destroyed ISIS. They could be gone by now, mm-hmm. uh, but we're just not going to do that anymore. I think if uh, George Bush was president, um, or somebody like that, uh, I think ISIS would have already been eliminated, and the effect that they had and the the effect that that would have on other Muslims, uh, jihad is futile. All it's going to get you is is uh, bad reputation and death. Uh, then we might see a decrease in these kinds of things. But as long as it, it's just like it's, it's America standing back with with her hands up and Putin taking Crimea, it's the same thing in the Middle East. They know that America is standing back and doing nothing, and so they have feel like they have a free hand to carry out their acts of violence. Anytime, any place that they feel like it, somebody has got to step forward and make the statement physically that this is not acceptable, this is not going to be tolerated. America used to do that. We're not doing it anymore, and nobody is. So we need that back, and I think we'll get it back. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, one of the topics that uh, we wanted to get to um, in some of our broadcasts last year was the topic of immigration, and this is definitely going to be a hot topic. And um, you know, it's it's it a big is, debate. Yeah. You know, you know, and, yeah. and especially uh, you know, this is uh, close to me a little bit in that my parents were immigrants from Italy, and um, my dad actually did not come over legally, but my mother did. And later, you know, he did um, get his citizenship and, and so forth. And uh, and so I know that there is a, you know, a big discussion about that and, and how to deal with immigration. Um, right now, I think some of the things that are in place are um, – extremely biased maybe would be a good uh-huh. way to put it. Um, yeah. I had friends that were uh, trying to move here from Ireland. Um, this gentleman had sold a business for two or $300,000 in Ireland and uh, wanted to come to the U.S. and was going to buy a business. And uh, actually he did, but it took them years. In fact, it took them I want to say over 10 years, and the only way that they finally got citizenship was that um, one of their their oldest daughter married an American. And that just seems ridiculous. One of their daughters um, had to leave the U.S. when she became 18 because um, their visas had run out, you know, or their whatever. So that, you know, I don't understand that when it's, you know, we've got droves of people um, and even um, on our construction site that we haven't been able to hire because they don't have all their paperwork. And, uh, you know, they just go to the next job site. So, you know, um, 
who is in charge, first of all, in setting the, the boundaries or the principles or the laws on, you know, who gets into the country, who doesn't? And, you know, I would think of a country like Ireland. We have pretty good relations with them, don't we, as a, as a country, Woody? Oh, yeah. Sure we do. Yeah. Um, so, I, so why would you be so so make it so difficult for people from Ireland to to move to um you know to the US well there have to be quotas there there have to be laws uh, we just can't let 3 billion people move into the United States and um mm-hmm. it could be that at least 2 billion is how many would come to here if we just said okay no more immigration law everybody come uh mm-hmm. they would come from all over the world uh, to America because this is the best place to be. We're the freest people. We're the wealthiest people, and um, you know who would who wouldn't want to come here? Uh, a lot of people, of course, have their home, family, and are doing well, and so on. But a lot of people would come here. There have to be laws. There have to be limits on how many can come. Uh, we call it quotas, and that was established clear back in the 1920s. How many can come, and um, what are the conditions legally under which they can come? And so that is law written by Congress, carried out by the uh, Immigration and Naturalization Service, what we call the INS. That is their job. And, of course, Customs has a part of that too, as does Homeland Security. Um, so it's just a basically a set of laws that we've been writing since probably the well, not probably, since uh, John Adams was president, who followed George Washington. Uh, so it's been a problem, an issue. They're not a problem, it's an issue, and it can, will continue to be. And, and speaking of the illegal Im- when you say illegal immigrant, you automatically think of somebody that comes up through Mexico across the border. Mm-hmm. And they're coming from other places too, but not in the numbers. They're coming by the millions uh, from Mexico, Central, and South America. And... Um, uh, ca- causing a lot of problems. Uh, there are real drain on state budgets, on federal budgets. Uh, taxpayers have to pay for it. Uh, read now that 10 states, led by California, are allowing illegal immigrants, and these people are illegal. <laughs> it, it, it's almost amusing in a way. How, do, how can a country be like this to get driver's licenses? They can walk in and get a driver's license, even though they have broken the law. Now, if I had broken the law, or let's say I I got a speeding ticket and I didn't pay it, well, when I go in to renew my driver's license, they're going to check that record out, and there I am. I'm in trouble. I'm not going to get to renew my license, and I'm going to probably uh, get a subpoena, uh, the sheriff will appear at my door, and I have to go before a magistrate, not only pay the um, the speeding fine, but uh, more on top of that, I might even get 30 days in jail for refusing to obey the law. And I'm a citizen of the United States, but illegal immigrants can just walk in and pick up a driver's license. We don't know what they've mm-hmm. done. Right. We, we know that they've broken the law. So that that's an issue, too. Ten states now are allowing driver's licenses. That's an amazing thing. You know, it's a step towards citizenship, towards voting. And, of course, I think a lot of people, an awful lot of people, are very favorable towards amnesty for illegal immigrants or for a portion of them because they are 
very humanitarian, compassionate people. Right. And we know that these folks that are coming across the border and sometimes dying and going through hardship are living in abject poverty. And a lot of Americans, we have always had that sense of compassion. We have let refugees into our, our country and gladly and helped them to adjust and uh, paid their way until they can get on their feet and get a job and so on. But the thing is, now we've had a, we've had uh, people coming across the border down south since the middle of the 19th century, and they were illegal immigrants, but we didn't call them that. We called them migrant workers, and we wanted them to come. We invited them to come. We begged them to come and pick our crops, and so we could uh, feed the nation. And you know, when the crops were gone, uh, most of them went back to their homes with some money in their pockets, and some of them stayed here. And nobody cared because they were performing a useful service. And um, at the same time, they were coming in very, very small numbers. But mm-hmm. in the last three decades, they've been, been coming in huge numbers, and they're not going back. Uh, some of them do, but most of them stay here. And a lot of the money that they make uh, is leaves the country and goes back to their family in the country of their origin. So the question is, we've invited them to come for all of these for 160 years. Now all of a sudden they're not welcome anymore because of the numbers and the problems that are caused. So it, you know, it's just basically a great issue and a great debate. Um, I know, again, Jeb Bush yesterday said something about immigration policy. He didn't say what. Um, Felice, have you heard anything uh, from Bush down there in Florida about how he feels about amnesty or immigration policy? Or has he been um, silent on that? Not in particular. Um, one, you know, There's just been a lot of negativity from the people that I know about his run. Uh, for president, but I know that he is definitely um, making waves like he is going to run, but not in particular. Um, you know, there's some people in the audience that may have some comments, so I'm watching the chat box here as uh, there are some comments, uh, which I'll bring up in a minute. But no, I don't. Um, I don't know in particular. Um, I know that the chief, uh, you know, has spoken out um, on immigration issues in the past. And uh, is probably, um, you know, going to be doing doing more of that um, in the coming months. What is what is he doing now? He's not holding an office, is he? No, no, he's um, yeah. he's begun to campaign. Yeah. Um, no, he's not actively campaigning yet, but he's making the kind of moves that you make when you're going to run for president. He was on several okay. boards. Um, as you know, mm-hmm. advisory boards, things like that, and he's um, resigned from all of those. And um, he has been communicating with people um, in the Republican National uh, Committee, and um, it looks like he's running. It does look like it. Yeah. And he did yeah. mention um, that one of his uh, key um, uh, platforms was uh, immigration policy. Uh, but he didn't say anything more than that. I have a sense, though, that he would be very, I have a sense that he would be at least open-minded to the idea of amnesty. And and that's that's a very good question. Should we deport all the illegal immigrants? And, of course, most of them would come back anyway, sneaking across the border. 
Uh, we there have been are thousands of uh, Mexicans, for example, that have been ca- caught and deported and caught and deported and caught and deported three times, two or mm-hmm. three times. Uh, so, does should we deport all of them or try to deport all of them, or does amnesty for some have merit? Like the whether it was done legally or not. If you're born in the United States, and many of them were, many children were, then you're a citizen of the United States, all right? What do you do with their their parents? What do you do with their brothers and sisters? Do you deport them, and what do you do with the child? Would, um, well, they, de- they, de- they deported my, my friend's daughter, you know, who was only 18. I mean, she ended yeah. up going uh, to college. Um, I believe she went back to Ireland and went to college there, and I... A hundred percent sure, but you know, it's like all the focus is, is on people coming from Central and South America, and uh, Irish or and Europeans, other people, right? Doesn't apply it. apply to you, right? Right. Well, it does, but it does. That needs to be it, straightened They out. fall through the yeah, they fall through the cracks, and that's not fair. But that is that is a really good question. I think one that um, you know is something we should get into. Um, you know, thinking more about and, and finding out more. Um, as, as the days go on. And let's just break really quickly for a short commercial, and we'll be right back. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, hi and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz and this is an episode of Current Issues in the Constitution and uh, Woody and I have been talking about the year in review of 2014, and we've been talking about immigration. And um, I knew someone was in the audience, uh, Tara, who um, has been following uh, Jeb's campaign, uh, not so subtle campaign for his two- 2016 run, um, and she is not a fan. And I cannot read you all of what she wrote, uh, just because I would probably burst out laughing. Um, in fact, I. I typed in the chat box, tell me what you really think, Tara. Uh, but basically <laughs> she said, uh, um, he, he, Deb says that immigrants are here out of love, and uh, he has left his private educational consulting job and set up a PAC, so he's definitely gearing up for a 2016 run. He is pro-Common Core and pro-immigration reform. So, um, And he said that he would be able to convince the Republicans to go for immigration reform. Uh, so... Uh, and, and then she also commented on what we were talking about um, with people being deported, that we do need secure borders, which really, you know, I know 
um, your your resolution in, in 2014 is or 2015 is not to be um, so upset about things, but that's something that just gets me upset. I cannot imagine how we can't have secure borders. Um, it just doesn't um, make sense to me. We're not trying to. As a matter of fact, uh, part of it is President Obama's fault. As as chief executive, he uh, ordered the head of the INS not to enforce uh, border laws and mm -hmm. basically back off on that. And I found out just this morning uh, that down in Texas, I was listening to a uh, Rick Perry thing uh, video, and he, I didn't know this, but the border patrol has been pulled back from the federal by the federal government from the border to 40 miles in from from the border so illegal immigrants have 40 miles to work with they can cross the river with total impunity or come through the tunnel however they're getting here and there is no attempt to enforce the border and tara is exactly right and i don't know what um, i don't know how uh Mr. Bush stands on that, but a recent, my goodness, a couple of days ago, a report came out from the Inspector General uh, who had done an audit of the Department of Homeland Security's <coughs> Border Protection Program. They have a drone program, and uh, the Inspector General said that the, the program is totally ineffective, surveys less than 200 miles of this, <coughs> pardon me, the southwest border, which is basically about 15 or 1600 miles altogether i forget the exact number but they're only they the drones are only surveying 200 miles and uh, 10 predator b drones are being used just 10 at a cost of more than $12,000 for every hour it spends in the air an amazing waste of money but here is a drone going up and down the border. Let's say they spot <coughs> a group of uh, 12 illegals coming across the border. So they radio the Border Patrol, which is 40 miles inland. And by the time the, the Border Patrol gets here, the immigrants have already melted into the into the foliage, the, the woods, the gullies, yeah, the arroyos. It just seems like we're being set up. And, you know, yeah. and hopefully well, there's the going to be an outcome. The thing is, we are not trying, and we have not been trying to enforce the border. And mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> Tara is exactly right, and many others uh, will agree that before, okay, we can have a debate for a long time on whether we should deport or give amnesty or give amnesty to some, uh, deport others that are not contributing, for example, they don't have a job or uh, maybe they have a um, a record uh, with the police, that, that sort of thing. We can have that debate, but in the meantime, let's start right now. Let's start right away, and let's secure that border. Let's spend whatever it takes, $10 billion, $20 billion. Let's spend it and get this problem stopped. And in the meantime, also, like you said, Tara, with the Irish girl, uh, let's re-examine immigration law. And let's go with the old principle of great principle of American fairness. Let's make sure that it's fair to everybody and not just the people that are coming across the southwestern border. Uh, let's make it applicable to everybody. You know, times change, uh, situations change, the law has to change too. 
So it's time to give the, all the immigration law a good scouring and come up with a more fair and effective policy, beginning with securing the border. That's got to come first. And I've got to hear Jeb Bush say that. I, I, don't, I cannot imagine that I would ever cast my vote in the primaries for Jeb Bush. I can't imagine yeah. me doing that. He's just far cl- too close to the center for my taste. But if he did say that, I would at least uh, – my eyes would get very white and my jaw would drop. And I'd say, well, maybe this guy does have some merit. So yeah. anyway. So we have to see. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see. Uh, the other thing, uh, she had a comment that I missed earlier about uh, North Korea. She had been stationed there, she said, when she was in the military. And yes, she I said, knew that. Uh-huh. Yeah, she said um, that she feels like, you know, they may be poor, but they have nothing to lose. And she was stationed there, and their culture is one of honor and saving faith. Uh, so she said she believes that uh, there's some clear evidence, and I guess maybe I, I did hear this too in the news that Korea did not do the hacking job, but it was an inside job, which doesn't mean that if it was an inside job, you know, Korea didn't have something to do with it. Who knows? Um, but anyway, um, she said they could really trigger the North Koreans, and uh, you know that would that would be. Um, you know, they're they're a very proud and ancient uh, people. So they are. I, I think we're just also um, irritated by their their leader. And uh, unfortunately, it's, um, it's a, another oppressed country. And, uh, you know, yeah. until yeah. some of those things change, um, you know, it, it, is, it is really sad. Um, we it is are, really sad. Yeah, we're not going to have a whole lot of time um, to go through uh, uh, some of the other points that we wanted to make, like the the new Congress and things like that. So we'll have to continue with that. Um, but you had talked about um, some court options. The first lawsuit filed last week by a coalition of 24 states led by Texas, Oklahoma, um, and it's and or Oklahoma is about to file another state may do so as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. Well, the law the lawsuit is active. Texas led it, and um, 23 states have joined Texas in support. <laughs> One more, and you got half the United States, um, and they have filed suit um, against amnesty in federal court. And now we just wait patiently. Uh, sometimes the courts take a long time. Those wheels turn slowly. Uh, wait to see what the verdict is. And at the same time, in Congress, uh, this representative, I, I had not heard of him. His name is Robert Goodlatte. He's a Republican from Virginia. And he is uh, trying to get a litigation movement going in the House of Representatives. And the idea is that the House passes it. It goes to the Senate. Instead of dying on Harry Reid's desk, it is passed. And you... So, and you basically file a complaint from Congress in federal court. So you would have two uh, major initiatives going on, 24 states, and you know how we prize federalism, states' rights, state sovereignty, state power, uh, joining with Congress um, in attacking this. Uh, It could be very, very powerful, and it could be very, very consequential. And again, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to wait a while and see how that pans out. 
So uh, for those who are opposed to amnesty, there is hope. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and I think it's uh, a sign of the times. I think people are really tired of nothing happening or it being, um, you know, just stonewalled by the president or, um, you know, a a political entity. And unfortunately, people get uh, very disappointed both ways. You know, I know I've I've caught myself saying, well, it doesn't matter who's in in office, nothing's going to get done anyway. And that's why I said, you know, I'm I'm holding out, um, you know, I'm not getting super, I'm happy, but I'm not getting uh, super excited because I think we've um, all been burnt one too many times and we've got our eyes open um, as far as what is going on in politics. And I think it is a good idea uh, to be vigilant. I'm very happy um, with, uh, you know, what's happening here on a local level, uh, a lot that Tara is doing, spearheading and um, very, very active in uh, what you're doing there, Woody, uh, with, with the school board and, you know, against uh, uh, Common Core and, and your stance against Agenda 21 and some other things that, uh, you know, we could be just sitting around doing nothing, but I'm happy to hear that people are uh, taking matters, um, you know, very seriously and doing all we can to elect people into places where they can make a difference. And so um, something, again, uh, for us to think about, and that's important. So um, a lot of things uh, on uh, the list here, again, that we're not going to be able to to get to, but um, we'll definitely uh, cover some of these things in the future show. Um, You know, let's just, uh, I know we've only got about five minutes left, um, but let's just uh, cover some of these things uh, quickly, if you would. Let's see how far well, we get. Uh, going back to the uh, uh, court options and the lawsuits sure. against the Obama's amnesty plan, there's another. The other thing I think we talked about it last time that Congress can do is basically defund um, uh, the whatever is whatever resources are, requ- are required for the amnesty. Just don't provide the money for it. Now, it would take right. an awful lot to process 5 million people and um, uh, provide them amnesty, the paperwork, uh, the rights. Congress has to pass that. Well, okay, you've got a Republican Congress. Just don't pass it. Matter, as a matter of fact, they've already kind of started on that. Um, they did pass a new budget on December 10th. We talked about that. That extends mm-hmm. all the way to September, and it funds uh, the government according to the previous budget, except for Homeland Security, who has the job of enforcing the border, along with INS uh, and the Border Patrol. Homeland Security is the um, top of that pyramid, and Homeland Security in that budget was the only department that was not funded to September. It was funded to February. And uh, in that time, the idea is that the Republican Congress will pass new laws towards border security, and um, then they will provide the funds for it. And the law, whether or not the president will sign it or veto it, is a question that that remains to be seen. But uh, Congress can do a lot of things to undermine this amnesty plan. And hopefully we're going to see that. And I'd also like to point out that one of the leading senators, Lindsey Graham, uh, said this. This is a quote from Mr. Graham just a week ago. 
He says, is it the position of the Republican Party that the 11 million must be driven out? I have never been in that camp as being practical. He doesn't say he's against it. He just says it's not practical. I am in the camp of securing our borders first, fixing a broken legal immigration system, have an E-Verify program so you can't cheat. Now, does that sound a little bit like what we were just talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have, uh, you know, hardcore Republicans uh, that are just, um, well, they just, they don't see it as an issue. They see it as a great truth that we, that they're coming across illegally and we've got to stop it and send them all back, okay? Uh, just that simple. But as, as Graham says, and we've got to consider, and I'm going to be very objective on this one, is it really practical? Can you round up 11 million people, many of whom are American citizens, and send them back to wherever it was that they came from? Can you do that before you? Uh, so let's debate that. Let's examine that. Let's For the next couple of years, let's talk about it in the 2016 presidential debates. But in the meantime, let's get right, bu real busy right now very quickly, spend the money and secure the border. Stop, stop the flow. Stop the flow. Um, so apparently, that's what Mr. Graham is saying, and uh, I think I would probably agree with him on that. That would be difficult um, to do very that. Difficult. It would be interesting, yeah. And then the Fox News um, poll revealed opposition to immigration amnesty. Um, you know, as Obama's unilateral amnesty for millions of illegals. And so um, tell us about that poll that they did. Oh, yeah, they is, um, basically <laughs> this is another thing that will work against Obama's plans for amnesty is that this uh, poll shows that only 36% of Americans support his plan, 60%. That's a supermajority. Anything over 60%, you don't get that very often, um, oppose the idea of amnesty. In fact, um, that's two points more than the number that opposed Obamacare, which was wildly unpopular and remained so. Uh, this amnesty thing has risen uh, past that to a 60% opposition. And, you know, that bodes well for Republican policy on immigration because there's a presidential election coming up. And if the House of Representatives and the Senate put up legislative language that requires border security and the funds uh, to carry it out, there are a lot of Democrats in the Senate and the House that are going to be up for re-election. And they better tread softly on this issue because it has become the number one issue. And if they vote with, with Obama, might, many of them would have, might have some of the same problems that their compatriots had in the recent 2014 election for Congress. So this one is going to have big implications for not just the election itself, but for the rhetoric and the campaign and the debates that precede the election. Uh, this has become a hot potato issue yeah it really has and and uh you know it's it's coming up um you know more and more in the news so we're going to have to keep an eye on that 
And we do have a new Congress, uh, 80% white, 80% male, and 92% Christian. Um, looking at your statistics here. Um, all of the stuff that we were talking about, for those of you listening, will be in the show notes uh, where the audio is uh, for this show. And um, it's, it's called A Year in Review. Um, and so uh, look for that on our current issues in the Constitution.com website. Um, also, the House, 246 Republicans, 188 Democrats, 58 margin, uh, which is the biggest Republican advantage in 70 years. Can't believe that, Woody. Um, That's a wave. And then, yeah. And then the Senate, 54 Republicans, 44 Democrats, two independents. So, um, but there, there is uh, some troubles, and uh, why don't you go over those uh, quickly if you can? Oh, well, there we- there's always, every time a new Congress, every two years a new Congress uh, is sworn in, and there's always uh, infighting uh, in both parties. You don't hear about uh, the Democrat infighting because the uh, media won't cover it, but they make a very big deal out of people trying to challenging, challenging uh, McConnell uh, for majority leader uh, led by Ted Cruz clear back uh, during the election itself, and then he I don't know who got to him, but he kind of uh, toned it down. And then, of course, in the last week, there's been a challenge to the Speaker of the House uh, from uh, Louis Gohmert, I think his name is, from Texas, Ted Yoho, Daniel Webster from Florida, all put their names forward as candidates for Speaker of the House. They got uh, between them about uh, 24 votes out of the 246. Uh, Not much of a challenge, really. But you always have that. It's no big deal. Um, And then, of course, a representative um, from New York, uh, Michael Grimm, uh, was caught uh, and pled guilty to a felony tax evasion and resigned from the House. And Majority Whip Steve Scalise. Now, that's a very powerful position. Majority Whip's job is to uh, organize and promulgate the passage of of legislation, of the party's legislation. So he he would be considered number three. He'd be Speaker of the House, Majority Leader, Majority Whip. So Steve Scalise from Louisiana uh, is the third third in rank there. Well, it's found that back when he initially, um, I suppose Democrats have been holding on to this, or some group has been holding on to this for quite a while. That he uh, during his campaign when he was first starting and had one aide, he spoke to a white supremacist group. Uh, called the Europe, American European Unity and Rights Organization, which had been founded by David Duke, a notorious racist uh, from uh, many years ago who ran for the Senate and uh, failed. Uh, so there are people calling for his head, and they want him to resign and all of that. And uh, he's being supported by the Republican hierarchy and by John Boehner, the Speaker of the House, and uh, refusing to resign for exercising freedom of speech, mm-hmm. although um, it does raise questions. Um, if if I knew that he, if he understood before he spoke to this group that it was a white supremacist group, well, I wouldn't be too happy with him being in the United States Congress. Uh, racism is a horrible and ugly thing. Yeah, I've read a great deal about it. I've talked to a lot of people about it, uh, blacks and Hispanics, and the pain. I mean, you can see the pain in their eyes as they talk about it. That's not okay. So this is something that um, 
I think we need to know more about. But in the meantime, uh, Steve Scalise said that he did not know it was a white supremacist group. I mean, you look at the title, European American Unity and Rights Organizations. That doesn't suggest, to me, that doesn't suggest racism. And apparently, as according to him, it didn't suggest racism to him either. He mm-hmm. was a uh, young guy just starting out, um, and he said, I spoke to any group that would invite me. I was looking for votes. So right now, it's just, just refine your objectivity and <laughs> wait for the facts to come out. Right. What uh, happens, but that was about uh, it. Really, really. My... The... Pardon me? Go ahead. I was going to say, what happens to Michael Grimm, um, the Republican from New York, who stepped down? Does he get replaced? Is there another election? What happens there? Uh, Governor will probably, I think in New York's case, the governor will appoint a replacement. Okay. Every state does that differently. Okay. And quickly, um, because we are over our time, the future, what to expect. I just had my children write a pro and con uh, paper. They had to take a position on the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, so we've got that to look forward to and uh, give us what else uh, is on the um, horizon for the new year. I, I understand that there will be a jobs bill trying to um, increase jobs. You know, we've had a, We're talking about maybe economic uh, recovery, but we still have a 5.8% unemployment rate which is horrible. Mm -hmm. That's millions of people out of work. So there's going to be a jobs bill that includes an initiative for hiring veterans. Uh, They're going to be tweaking the Affordable Care Act. Um, The Affordable Care Act establishes the work week as 30 hours, and they're going to put it back up to 40 hours. Of course, President Obama will veto that. The medical devices tax, the individual mandate, the business mandate, all of those things are the Republican legislation will repeal. Congress is also going to try to reestablish sanctions on Iran. Uh, Those guys are horrible people that are building nuclear weapons, and President Obama withdrew the sanctions. So Congress is going to reestablish them, and they're going to begin work on the next budget, deficit cuts, funding homeland security, uh, many other things, so keep an eye on that. All right. Well, a lot to look forward to. As always, Woody, it's been a pleasure, and I um, look forward to our next session. Um, Again, for those of you that want to see these great uh, notes that Woody put together, they will be um, on the post a year in review and forward. So look for that on current issues in the Constitution. Thanks so much, Woody, and we'll see you in in the next time. I'll be looking forward to it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.